Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name's Joe Glover. Thank you so, so much for listening. Today we have a real special treat for you because I think this is one of my favourite talks ever from the Marketing Meetup. And that's like well, well beyond the 100 talks that we've had now from uh, global, I'll say global leaders as if it's not some kind of cliche, but I actually mean it. Global leaders in marketing and this talk, phenomenal. We have Molly Baker from Indie Consulting and Kerry Thorpe, who is the head of communications uh, for the EU for Ben and Jerry's. Kerry and Molly uh, did something quite special in this session. They went through and they literally showed us in excruciating detail, not excruciating in a in a in a bad way, but just like a, they gave us everything. They absolutely gave us everything in this talk to build really really great campaigns that work both online and offline. It was a brilliant session. Now, coming into this podcast, then I need to give you a warning because like you're not going to be able to see everything that Molly and Kerry are speaking about. Nonetheless, I thought it was a valuable exercise to still upload to the podcast because uh, you'll, you'll get an awful lot from hearing the words alone. However, I would say if you're going to get the most from this experience, I would really heavily recommend uh, watching the video, which can be found on the Marketing Meetup website. Right there, you've got everything that everyone else can see, um, including the Excel spreadsheets that are often referenced uh, throughout the course of the presentation. And, and really the stuff that gives that fine detail uh, that, that I so often missed in marketing talks. This isn't a generic inspiration. This is how to do the thing. And they actually showed us how. Really, really brilliant. Before we get going, I just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this week who are Impression. Impression are an incredible agency based in Nottingham and or South offices in London. They have services that uh, are really across the whole spectrum of marketing from PPC to SEO to affiliates to social. Um, and not only that, they're just a bunch of lovely people. I didn't go to a posh school, but I did happen to go to school with this, the founder of Impression, a guy called Aaron. Aaron is known for just being a lovely soul and he carried that through right through from school all the way through till today. He's a really, really top human being who has built a company to be proud of. Do take the time to check out Impression. Uh, they're good people who know what they're doing with digital marketing stuff. With all that said, now's the time to hand over to uh, Kerry and Molly. So I think it's Molly's voice that you hear first. Uh, I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. I know that I did. Uh, speak to you soon and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having us today. We're super, super excited to be here and uh, are planning to go through just the details, the the tactical steps that we take when Carrie and I both think about how to make amazing campaigns that drive impact both online and in the digital world. So um, really looking forward to chatting through this with you guys today. Since the introductions, um, Joe's actually done a better instruction myself than I could, but I am Head of Communications for Europe at Ben & Jerry's. And that means I work across both our product campaigns when we're talking about ice cream flavors, whether that's um, Peace Pop or Son of a Witch. And then also I work across our activism campaigns. So really bringing people into movements and driving change in the world. 
Wonderful. Um, and I'm Molly. It's great to meet everyone. I um, am the founder and CEO of Indie Consulting, which I started about four years ago now. Um, I had spent some time at, on the brand side and agency side before that, and uh, we work primarily across CPG, health services, and a little bit of travel as well. So um, really excited to be here. And then we thought we'd say how we know each other. So um, Molly used to lead our digital work at Ben & Jerry's. So we worked together for a number of years at Ben & Jerry's before Molly founded Indie Consulting. Then we became firm running friends. So we kind of did, we'd basically try and do a trip um, and a marathon or something together, just as it's used to hang out outside of work. Then it became lots of coffees and Zoom meetings. And now we actually enjoy working together that we find projects like this. And we asked Joe if we could do this together. So we're either um, really great friends or um, kind of weird little crushes on each other um, professionally, but it works really well. And um, I love the way Molly's brain works and kind of complements the experiential and media and social background that I come from. Wonderful. Okay, so getting into it, um, you know, when we were thinking through the, the fundamentals of impactful campaigns, we really find that focusing in on these three areas is something that we always try to keep in mind. So, you know, brilliant campaigns come from brilliant planning. Carrie and I joke a lot that, you know, the devil's in the details and there's no such thing as over planning to a certain extent. Um, so keeping that in mind and, and being detailed and intentional about plans is only going to make the impact greater. We also try to keep our consumer in mind first always. So whether that's thinking through the platforms that we select, the assets that we're creating, the medias that buys that we're placing, how are we putting ourselves in the consumer's shoes and creating the best experience possible for them? And then of course, as we kind of have spoken to already in this session today, you know, we live in a world where we have so many different touch points, both online and offline that we're constantly trying to connect, which makes the job that we do complicated at times and challenging, uh, but how we connect the dots and make sure that our executional practices are as streamlined as possible will hopefully drive impact and a great user experience for our end consumer. So when we think about the how of this, we broke we break down our campaign planning into six key components. So we'll be diving into each one of these um, in more detail. And Carrie and I will be going back and forth on the specifics here. But ultimately, uh, these six steps are a part of every campaign that we plan. Um, this is how we did our campaign planning at Ben and Jerry's, and uh, has inspired a lot of the the work and sort of campaign planning that. Um, my team does today on a lot of different types of brands as well. So it's been fine-tuned and, and adjusted over time, certainly. But I think that with each of these six steps, we're able to get to an outcome that um, is cross-channel and detailed and often impactful, hopefully always impactful. So ultimately, you know, starting with what are we trying to accomplish and who are we trying to talk to is always the first step that we take. Uh, this helps to inspire the comms idea that we align on, the opportunities, the challenges that might be coming along with that. We do a really detailed selection on um, platform uh, strategy and channel selection. You know, I think that when we think about the digital landscape, the e-commerce landscape, the offline landscape, there's just so many different uh, 
places where we can touch consumers and communicate with consumers today. So being very intentional about where we choose to show up is something that uh, we put a lot of thought into. And then these things inform our comms calendar uh, and the assets and investment that we put behind those communications. Um, finally, we of course always want to be looking at having an optimization plan in place as well and measurement so that we can ensure that we're accomplishing the goals that we're setting out to accomplish. So when we think about creating those jobs to be done and really getting into the details on goal setting, we try to take our, an audience first approach. So, you know, really looking at our consumer and figuring out what value are we ultimately trying to provide for them. So there are a lot of different need states that we consider when we're uh, building our jobs to be done section of this campaign plan. Uh, this is an example of fundamental need states that might be leveraged for, you know, a values-based campaign or uh, something in the nonprofit space, for example, where we're really looking at these human-centered needs that we are hopefully um, playing a role in fulfilling for our end consumer. So there are different ones for uh, if we're thinking about food and beverage or um, hair or personal care, we can look at different types of need states, but these keep us rooted and always trying to make sure that we're providing value back to our end audience. And then this brings us to the details of putting a plan on a page that will ultimately act as the foundation for all of the campaign and activation plans to follow as it relates to the specific goal that we have in mind. So there's a lot of detail here. I hope this doesn't come off as overwhelming, but we wanted to show a fully fleshed out example of what this looks like uh, so that you guys can really just see what goes into this. You know, I think ultimately this exercise is probably the most important thing that Carrie and I do when we're planning a campaign, because this is our sort of source of truth, right? At any point throughout our planning process, if we are have questions or not feeling sure about something, we come back to this and make sure, are we are the, the, the tactics that we're putting in place, the assets that we're creating, the platforms that we're selecting, are they going to be aligned back to the details that we have here? Do they align with our business goals? Do they align with the need states that we're looking to uh, fulfill? Do they fit into the occasions that we have selected? Um, so this example here, is for a nonprofit that uh, we have been doing some work with this year. We do one pro bono project a year, and this is an example of some the beginning of the campaign plan that we are working on for them. Uh, so ultimately, you know, looking at finding ways to increase their um, female mentorship program. Uh, that was our, our ultimate business goal. And with that, we have business KPIs, we have marketing objectives, we have audiences and key comms that um, act as the, the foundation for all of the plans to follow. So while simple, also detailed, and hopefully a helpful tool just to leverage as a foundation for the basis of any campaign plan. So now over to Carrie for, for some of the more exciting pieces. So now we're getting to that second box from that slide of boxes that Molly showed you in the beginning. And this is around the comms big idea and priorities and how you're going to communicate your campaign and talk about messages. But to allude to what Molly said earlier, we first need to know who we are as a business. 
So communications can only take us so far. We need to understand what our business strategy is, who we are as a company, who we are as a business before we move into that how to message the campaign space. So at Ben & Jerry's, we like to think of ourselves as a company and not a brand. And we want to connect with people on a values-based level, a soul-based level. So really connect with people over something more than just ice cream. Whilst ice cream is a great personal connection, but really connect with people on the deeper values that we have as a company as set out by our co-founders, Ben and Jerry. And as a happy result of that, this will build long-term loyalties with our ice cream fans or consumers. But it's really about doing what feels right from our values and starting with our values. So you know who you are as a business, and now it comes on to how do you communicate the campaign that you're planning? So I'm going to bring in an example of a campaign that Ben and Jerry's recently ran. Um, we ran it with Tony's Chocolate Only. I'm not sure if you've kind of tried their ice cream before, ice cream, their chocolate before, um, but it's brilliant. And Tony's are a chocolate company that happens to also be an activist. They've done loads to transform the chocolate industry and make it more equitable. And really their main mission is making chocolate that's modern slavery free. So when Ben and Jerry's first started thinking, should we do a partnership with Tony Chocolate Lonely? It started from that values place. And we like to think that the two companies kind of flirted with each other for a while and had different meetings that were like dates to work out if they should connect, how, how it would work from this impact space. The big idea was how can Ben and Jerry's make changes in their supply chain or our supply chain in order to um, really change the, the chocolate industry for a more equitable place. So we signed up to Tony's Chocolate Only's Open Chain, which is really detailed, but in a nutshell, it means sourcing traceable coca, which then in turn means a fairer world for coca farmers. And we called this big idea, the chocolate love affair, being fairness being such a big part of it and kind of our affair with one another being the fact that we really admired each other's companies for the humor and tone of voice, but also for the values at the heart of each company. So I'm going to talk you through how this kind of articulated itself in what we call the comms tree. <laughs> but first of all, I'll talk you through the messaging process. So here are some steps that we take in a messaging process. It may seem simple, but actually when it comes to messaging, it's really difficult. And if you aren't having tense conversations with colleagues and kind of thrashing out one version and then going back to another, then you're probably doing something wrong. So it's okay that this feels frustrating and difficult. We start with the big idea, what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it with, and what the hook is for the people that are we're reaching out to. Then the comms tree, which really talks about prioritizing our messages, what we want to say, who we want to say it to, and making sure that what we want to share, people will care about, because the two don't always mean the same thing. And then working out what we will and won't say. We don't want to inadvertently with our campaigns exclude people, accidentally make offense to people with intersectional identities, lots of different work to do in that space. Then working out challenges and opportunities. We have a saying at Ben & Jerry's, if it's not fun, why do it? So really kind of looking for that space where you can just have fun for the sake of it and put some creative effort into something that might work, might not, but at least you'll have fun doing it. And then obviously to Molly's early point, we really want to refine and review this stuff as we go. So this is our comms tree face um, framework, which sometimes when you're thinking, well, I'm thinking, oh, head of communication, should I have something a bit like more, um, I don't know, technical than this? But actually we find that this really simple methodology works so well for us. And just to be really clear with 
what we do at Ben and Jerry's is we bring in people from across the business to this commentary framework. So whether it's people from our content team, digital, comms, PR, social, um, or whether it might be, you know, people from our NGO partners really to work out what is it that's most important to say here. And taking the Tony Chocolonely partnership um, as an example, we could have launched these fantastic flavors as the hook. And the first message might have been Ben and & Jerry's and Tony Chocolonely launched these fantastic new flavors. And what's even sweeter is the flavors aim to change the chocolate industry, one bite at a time, one scoop at a time. So we had conversations internally about that, what's gonna be the best way to communicate this change that we're trying to make in the world. But what we really felt was the values message needed to come first because it's about that need state of belonging. People want to make, to make sure that they're kind of choosing a company, choosing a product, choosing a brand that aligns with their values. So we really wanted to make sure we were landing that values commitment first, celebrated by products. So you'll see here that the communications tasks are leading with values, moving on to products that celebrate that, and then an education job where we go deeper into the inequalities of the chocolate industry and how Tony's Open Chain can try to address those. So we have our communications tasks, then we go on to our key messaging, and then we have our phases. So launch and excite, launch and awareness, and then some education pieces, and then suggested content that flows from that. So one's flowing from the other. So you might see here the content for our values was about a launch video that would really describe why we're coming together. In the more product space, obviously what you need is pack shots that make you drool at the mouth and really want to dig into these products really brilliant photography that opens up the bars and the ice cream for you to see. And then the education piece needs more long form content and storytelling. So starting here really makes the whole team in on one place, thinking about how the campaign will come to life and zeroing in on what the key messages are and the priorities. And then not to dwell too much on this, on this slide, but really just to say that in communications, as we know, it's just as important to think about what we won't say as what we will say. And I think spending some time here is really important before you brief any copywriters or you know, do visual guidelines or work out, kind of go into briefing stage because guardrails are helpful actually. I think we don't want to you know, make our creatives tied up with no wriggle room, but I think having guardrails on what we won't say is really important so that we don't have to go back to this stage where we've wasted time on creative development. Wonderful. So once these messages are aligned and, and we've identified the key communication priorities and tasks, we then work to figure out what our platform strategy will be to distribute those messages as effectively as possible. So, you know, I think this is a challenging space today when we get to this point, given that there are so many different available options for us to distribute content, especially in the past few years, as we've seen, you know, e-commerce partners start to offer a lot of content distribution as well. When we think about everything from Amazon A, a plus content to, you know, what Walmart media group is doing um, in the U S at least there, there are just so many different ways that content is being distributed. So um, lots of, of places to go when we get to this point of our planning, but again, taking that audience first to approach and putting ourselves in the consumer's shoes and what are they doing when they're coming onto these platforms and therefore what are they going to be most likely receptive to from us so you know if we're taking a place on their instagram news feed 
we might want to be delivering something that aligns with that mindset that they have when they're there um, versus if they are, you know, watching video content on YouTube or looking to order um, a quick something on Uber Eats. So really looking at consumer mindset, how can we select platforms that are, are going to bring us to the people who will be most receptive for our messages. And then of course, where are is our where is our target demographic as well? You know, I think as new platforms come onto the scene, it's like, oh, we all have to be on TikTok. Well, maybe not every company or brand has to be on TikTok right now, right? Like there are there are times when yes, everyone needs to make a big movement, but um, it might not need to be immediate. It, it needs to be when your target audience is going to be. Uh, having adoption to that new platform as well. So, you know, to boil it down to some extent, you know, we always look at our foundational platforms to ensure that we have consistent presence and um, selection of a selection of content being distributed when it comes to any campaign on these sort of four key areas. So no matter what the campaign is or what brand we're working for or with, you know, ensuring that our brand website is going to be reflective of the new messages that we're trying to communicate um, and a way for people to find product is always something that, that we ensure is in place. Uh, search and making sure that if there's a long form content need or an organic search opportunity, how do we ensure that that is set up appropriately? Social media, having one priority platform to really focus in on and build a community with. I think everyone has that one platform that is probably more intuitive for your company or brand that you're working with. So how do we ensure that that always remains sort of an evergreen presence? Because those people are choosing to participate with you and engage with you. And, and we wanna make sure that they are treated um, the best with all the new news as well. And then finally, of course, having an e-commerce option if you're selling a product, uh, you know, picking one that you're really going to focus in on and make, make it as good of an experience as possible, especially with any new news, is also a priority as well. So we've determined our messaging, we're prioritizing which channel we think our messaging should live on. And now this comes to the sexy Excel sheet part of marketing. And we know that that's not everybody's favorite place and it might not seem as creative, but I think we can't overemphasize how important a good comms calendar is, both because your campaign doesn't live in isolation, it lives within the kind of ecosystem of your communications across the year, but also because um, the more planning that you do here, the more that you can leave yourself with team resource, creativity and bandwidth to do the fun creative stuff that might kind of surprise you, whether that's a flashpoint in the media that your campaign will work really well with, or a trend on TikTok, if TikTok has been identified as something that's worth diving into. Um, so really, we pull this together. At Ben & Jerry's, we have a cadence of ongoing content that talks about flavors and flavor fun, whether that's bringing an ice cream back from our flavor graveyard, introducing a new flavor, or doing recipes with non-dairy. I mean, we also have an ongoing cadence of values content or activism content, which talks about the issues that matter to us and not just when they're popular. So it talks about our belief in championing refugee rights, talks about the idea that it's really important to have an equitable society and not just when we're running a campaign. It's really important that we educate people on the issues that matter to us and not just ask something of our community, that we're offering something 
all year round as well. I think sometimes when we focus too much on campaign moments, we're asking something of our fans rather than offering them quality content throughout the year and then having these big moments that they kind of want to drive engagement with. And also, we also see that the more we educate people on issues, the more likely they are with, to engage with topics later on. So a good comms calendar is important, but it's also important to see that we ladder this up to each channel so that we're bringing in other people from the team and not forgetting anything. So this, again, shouldn't be done in isolation by one person, one comms lead. It should be a collaborative process. And then as Molly has alluded to often, um, we live in a omni-channel world. So we want to determine the things that we want to say and create those assets with these channels in mind. So once you prioritize your communications, prioritize your channels, you then create assets with the channels in mind. So it might be that you have the one creative theme or look and idea, but they differ slightly depending on the platform that you've created it to, whether that's Insta, Facebook, online, online video, whatever it might be. So this example here is um, Ben and Jerry's launched Mooforia, which is a lighter ice cream. And obviously we wanted to kind of bring to life this kind of lightness um, of the calories that are on the tub there. And we did this through kind of our ingredients floating in space. But you'll see that for each of the platforms, we brought that creative to life in a slightly different way that was optimized for the platform. And I think this is where the kind of fun creativity put, comes in. You have your guardrails, but that doesn't mean that you don't have room for creativity. And then just wanted to touch here on coordinated announcements. I think this is something that we see a lot in our business, but also I know many colleagues from other brands and other charities feel the same. It's how do you announce something on earned media, experiential, social, in an aligned and integrated way? And at Ben & Jerry's, we announce our products before distribution. So when we have a new ice cream that we want to tell people about, we make sure that we're doing that before they can see it on the shelf. Um, because we want to be the ones to get people as excited about ice cream as we are. But I think it's really important to have that integrated moment to make sure that when you're announcing on social or through a press release or whatever it might be, you're also thinking through the other touch points that Molly um, has touched on before. So website, have you got a home screen takeover? How are you featuring it on your homepage? Are you capturing that in a flavor page? How are you bringing it to life? Your organic social posts, how many are you doing? Don't think that everybody sees that one organic post that you do at the beginning of the week, making sure that you're having further ones in your comms calendar, earned media and influencer engagement, email newsletter, making sure your care lines understand the information. Really think through how aligned you can be at that launch moment and then moving on to that sustained moment, keeping that alignment across channel. And then I just thought that actually we've given quite a lot of um, technical spreadsheets. So it'd be nice to show some assets. So we're going to show you now um, a chocolate love affair from Ben Jerry's and Tony's we showed you earlier. We're gonna show you the launch video. And then also I wanted to include on this slide that secondary message we had. So we said that the values was the most important thing because the partnership started with our values. But also we did have a job to do for those people that will maybe only ever connect with Ben and Jerry's over their love of cookie dough. So you do have a job to do in your campaigns of just informing people. So this, the still that you'll see on the slide there is informing people that we had new ice creams and new chocolate bars that were inspired by one another. One is new and the other one is coming soon. That asset doesn't tell the whole value story. 
And of course it shouldn't, not every asset should do every job. Um, and we'll just play the launch video here just for a bit of fun. Okay, let's see if this works. <laughs> obviously is if people don't watch all the way to the end we have our key message which is the values at the front and then when we say we took each other's taste buds and there were products as a result of it that comes later on in the video so it's about making those choices in the beginning when you're doing your commentary because that will feed through to your assets oh boy okay <laughs> a little a little another start there um so once we get through all these pieces, uh, as you can see, a lot of this work is stacking on top of each other to get to a place where we then are ready to talk about investment. So, you know, looking back at, again, the business goals that we have, the comms priorities that we're looking to support and who we're looking to get in front of with those communications. Um, we also take historical performance into our consideration set during the investment strategy uh, phase to ensure that, you know, looking back at, at what we know, where are we most likely going to be effective at accomplishing certain types of objectives? Where is our investment going to work hardest for us to reach a certain demographic? demographic or type of person uh, and have that inform where we choose to invest looking forward. So when we get to this phase, we then take our handy dandy comms calendar and we layer in our investment on top of that. So, you know, we'll end up having additional tabs as, you know, keeping the Excel fund alive, um, where we are focusing our and showing budget based off of objective we're looking to achieve with that media, you know, whether that be awareness or conversions or engagement, if consideration is something we're going after, um, what communications that investment will be supporting and where. And this gives us at least a place to start, but that doesn't mean that um, it will never change throughout the course of the year, depending upon the performance that we're seeing once we're in market and the response that we're seeing on different creatives and platforms once we go live. 
So, you know, with that in mind, we then, once we kind of align on those original investment uh, buckets and objectives, we create an optimization plan. So we look to have our key KPIs in place by platform. Um, we have benchmarks that we'll measure off of that are based off of historical performance and industry performance when we have that available. And then what learning questions do we have in mind? You know, what, what do we need to understand about new content formats or ad formats, uh, different audiences that we might be looking to communicate with or reach? different platforms that we're trialing on and how can we ensure that that's part of our executional plan so that we're never having something go live and, and treating it in a set it and forget it mindset, but we are constantly making adjustments based off of learnings in year versus just looking at you know annual uh, plans and sort of copy and pasting from what we had done previously. So that while this guides our optimization plans, we then will also pull together a measurement strategy as well. So there are so many different ways that we can measure success and none of them are perfect as I'm sure you guys deal with all the time. So, you know, thinking again, what exactly are we looking to solve for? We can then either determine third-party partners, platform measurement solutions, internal models, um, whatever it might be for us to get at, whether it's, offline impact, in-store sales, uh, brand lift, brand equity, uh, you know, people's association with a partner or value that we're looking to really drive home. We can align measurement solutions back with those objectives to ensure that we have a really clear read on how all of the work that we've just talked through and done has ultimately achieved or not achieved that end goal. So, you know, kind of summarizing, I know we went through a ton of detail and Carrie, please chime in as, as we talk through these, but I think, you know, as we look at our campaign planning process, it's, it is very detailed and very tactical. And I think to say a few key takeaways that hopefully are helpful when you're thinking about campaign planning moving forward, you know, it's really important ultimately at the very beginning and to keep in mind throughout the process to know what impact looks like for you and how you'll know it when you see it. Um, so being really just clear about that and aligned on that as a group, um, just and as a team really makes the whole planning and executional process easier. I think, as Carrie said upfront, aligning on who you are as a brand and what your brand is looking to achieve long term is also something to always kind of have everyone on the same page about and have in mind. And then just continuing to think audience first at every phase. This is something that I ask myself all the time when I'm going through a planning process or a campaign execution. You know, if I were the one receiving this message or if I were the one looking to make a purchase or sign up for a new service or give my information to someone, you know, what, what would be best for me? What would I most prefer? What would be most engaging? What would be most exciting? Um, what would I get the most value from? I think as much as an, uh, an empathetic approach we can have to our end user, the better. So this is something that, that we try to always take into consideration. With that in mind, I think asking questions along the way and you know, there's, there's no way to know the answer to everything, especially in the space that we work in. So, uh, you know, being comfortable, especially in a team setting or with agency partners to just continue asking questions is so important. And then I think there's no such thing as over planning. I mean, I, you can have plans and have more plans and replan again. And 
you know, there always will be things that come up and need to change, but it's easier to be agile and react to real-time moments when you have a plan. Uh, you know, I think that it's almost like contradictory to say that, but um, I'm sure everyone, it's always like, well, how can we go viral or how can we address these things that are happening? And the way that we do that best is by having sort of contingency plans in place that allow us to act quickly. And then the last piece, you know, leave 20% for the unknown. Whenever we look at our investment strategies, we kind of follow that 80-20, sometimes 70-30 rule, depending upon how crazy we're feeling. But, um, you know, there are things that are tried and true and that we know and have great data points to support why we make the choice that we make when we execute, but having a little bit of fun and remembering that we work in marketing in a space that experimentation sometimes yields the best results, um, having that in mind and planning for that, I think makes a huge difference. So, you know, whether that's 20% of your energy, brain space, investment, whatever it might be, um, you know, having an open mind for those opportunities when they arise will, will make all the difference. So Carrie, any, any builds or other things to add? No, I think that's right, obviously, because we aligned. <laughs> but also I think that asking questions along the way, I think a collaborative way of working and as much as you can, which is hard for everybody, all of us, is leaving egos at the door and not being afraid to say, actually on this one, I'm not sure if I am the expert, let me bring other people in, is where we're gonna get to that space where you can kind of get things decided to leave that 20%. Um, having as much space to succeed as possible. Awesome. Nick. Well, uh, let me jump in here and, and, and just say, wow, 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 wow. That was incredible. Seriously, um, <clears throat> thank you both very, 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 very much for taking the time there. Um, I, I genuinely, I, I think, there's probably two talks that I'd now recommend uh, to people uh, in 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 uh, wanting to start their marketing career. The first would be uh, On the Contrary by Mark Ritson, because uh, I think it lays out really wonderfully uh, the idea of diagnosis, strategy and tactics. And then this is going to be the second one. This is going to be once you've got that diagnosis, strategy and tactics in mind and it's lodged in there, this gives you everything you need. So honestly, uh, both Kerry, Molly, thank you both for um you know, like there's this overused phrase, right? You know, um, lifting the lid or opening the box. And, <laughs> and people say that they're going to do it. And then, you know, they kind of maybe do it, you know, and they kind of might show you some stuff, but then there's a bit blurred out. The fact that you've both been so generous with your knowledge there, so structured that people can follow it afterwards, then uh, I, I really, really hope that you can see the chat feature right now, which is blowing up with people uh, <laughs> that are just like, so blooming grateful that is the talk that i wish that i had uh when i started marketing 10 years ago so thank you both uh really really uh absolutely insane <laughs> um molly if you want to stop sharing your screen for now then we'll be able to see uh, I'm doing the pondo lifting the lid. We use that a lot of Ben and Jerry's. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's horrible. Although we should try and find more puns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's, there's 22 open questions uh, right now. Uh, so, folks, um, if you've got a question that you'd like to add or probably more realistically that you would like to give some weight to, uh, by all means, give a thumbs up uh, to the questions that are, are presently in there, because we'll make sure to prioritize those. Um, 
And with that in mind, then there's a battle between Simon and Claire at the top. But I'm going to take Claire's question because uh, it, it was one that sort of came to my mind uh, uh, too while watching, which was in terms of timeframes, how long do your campaigns take to develop and launch? Do you plan for a more longer term slash year long campaign messaging or more seasonal slash reactional campaigns? And do you use this process every time you plan a campaign, whether it's short or long term? And then puts in brackets. Sorry, there's multiple questions there. <laughs> I can maybe it'll answer on behalf of Ben and Jerry's and then pass over to Molly. But at Ben and Jerry's, it really does depend. So I think when we're talking about products, you might have a product that's launching globally and there's big media investment that means that you really need this whole deck to be followed through from beginning to end. But then we might have some innovations that are on a much quicker turnaround in terms of bringing that product to life. And it might be that the main channel is in our scoop shops and there's not any paid media investment behind it, but you want to really make sure that you're leaning in more heavily to PR and, and social, for example. So I think what we do at the beginning of the year is identify which of those big campaigns that need kind of what we would say an all singing, all dancing campaign process, which are the smaller moments that might need more of a kind of sprint team of people that would get together and do kind of like a lesser version of this. And then what we might sometimes do also in activism is you can't predict the plans that might be put in place. You can't predict the moments that might cause a flashpoint where all of the work that we've been doing on refugee rights suddenly needs to be pulled together into a campaign. So really, as an unhelpful answer, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I think in an ideal world, a six-month lead in time would be fantastic. Any more, when you go into that year stage, sometimes you lose some of that creativity. So I think if Ben & Jerry's a six-month lead in would probably be optimal if you had a chance to get it. That's perfect. Do you have anything, anything to add, Molly? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, for some of the smaller brands that we work with, we can do shorter lead times. You know, we'll see three months and look at sort of quarterly planning as a way to kind of stay on top of quick growth or trends that we might be able to find relevance within. Um, but I think having an annual plan that at least gives structure to the year and what you expect to happen is always helpful. And then from there, if you can do these like more in-depth planning cycles on a more regular basis, um, that's the approach that we try to take with um, some of the other brands that we work with. That's perfect. Thank you. And the question that came off the back of that was that, is this purely for the marketing team? You know, so it struck me that a lot of this stuff could be used to get buy-in from, you know, the rest of an organization, right? Um, but then the second question that comes off the back of that is, how much do you show the rest of the organization? Because presumably, if you went through a, a six-stage process with Excel spreadsheets, they don't, they don't necessarily need to see that. So how do you... Is it? Is it? Yeah, for... and sometimes when, yeah, and sometimes when you let people peek behind the curtain, it kind of make. Sometimes people lose confidence in the project, the project that you then want to deliver as kind of a finished product. So I think it is a conversation that you should have in terms of which stakeholders do you bring in at the beginning of that planning process that would benefit from it, yeah. and then when do you get stakeholders, whether it be the country leads in each market that need to then speak to trade about it, about it. When do you bring people in? I think it isn't one answer each time, but it is the benefit of peeking behind the curtain versus having to get full confidence in people as well. So what's that balance? Yeah, I love that. And it's always, if there's if there's one word to live life by, it's balance, right? So uh, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm not perfect with it. That's great. Um, so we'll go to the next question from Simon. So we saw a lot of Excel spreadsheets uh, there today, which was phenomenal. And as a, a highly unorganized marketer, uh, also sort of made me think that I need to step up my game. Um, but Simon Simon asks uh, about what systems you use to project manage uh, your, your uh, campaign management. So is it all Excel based or do you use, say, the Trellos or the Asanas of the world? Um, to, to sort of coordinate with, with the rest of your team? So we use Trello quite a bit um, and we have clients that use Airtable and our team works a lot on Airtable through some of our, our clients as well. Um, sometimes Asana or other sort of more ticketing based systems, I guess we can call them. Uh, but definitely, I think there's still a use case for just a good old Excel spreadsheet from time <laughs> to time too. So, um, you know, we trial out different project management tools regularly, and I just think it, it kind of depends on what, what your team needs to some extent to be able to, there's so many good options and not good options, but, uh, I think it all depends on kind of what the problem is that, um, we might be able to solve for, but I would say yes to Trello. I have a few people on my team who are like obsessed with it and I always try to get obsessed with it, but you know, <laughs> project management, <laughs> but Carrie, any, any specifics from the Ben and Jerry's side? Yeah, I would say we use a ticket-based system when it comes to briefing copywriters or designers, because we're such a collaborative team here that we definitely fell into. And I think myself actually the most fell into the trap of going over to someone's desk, asking them to solve a project for you. And then realizing that you've kind of lumped you've taken your problem put it on someone's desk not put it in any kind of form or any kind of prioritization and what you've really done is cause your colleague more stress so we use a ticketing system and we're very strict about it here so that our design team whether they're based in the us or in the uk can prioritize the asks that we're giving them so ticketing is a huge thing here and then also excel really excel and project management is the the main thing trello and excel that's perfect. Thank you. I, I appreciate the answer to a lot of these things is always going to be, it depends, but it's always good to sort of have mm. a vote in specific directions. Uh, Airtable, for example, was uh, a new piece of software to me only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I, I think that really gives people uh, the opportunity to investigate these things. So it's, it's always a good question to ask, even if the answer is it depends. Um, the next question comes from Tina. Uh, so Tina is asking from a slightly different perspective uh, than, than what I suspect. Um, I, I think we've seen the whole shebang today, really, which is something like super appreciative for. But Tina asks, uh, I'm a one woman marketing slash brand slash sales plus content band for an SME. Uh, any advice on, on keeping it together? Yeah, I mean, I used to be head of communications at a charity. Um, and so I well I just want to say I feel your pain it's definitely I'm not going to pretend it's not easier working with a big team it is but I think the takeaway from today is probably to go through the steps in order and to ask yourself as many questions along the way I think all too often you waste time at the end by having to go back to the beginning especially when it comes to maybe messaging when it comes to the things that you should say and the things that you absolutely shouldn't say and, and leave out and maybe also finding that business partner, whether it's a mentor or a colleague, to once you get your thoughts in order, bounce ideas off. I think that's always really, really helpful. But try and go through it methodically and really grill your own answers as much as possible. Because sometimes the answers that you go to bed at night are not the ones that you wake up in the morning with. So 
give yourself that rigor of just constantly questioning yourself and testing. That's awesome. Uh, Molly, anything extra to add there at all? I think it's impossible to do it all. So when you're on a small team or a one woman show or one man show, you know, giving yourself the grace to know that it's not, you're not going to be able to be everywhere and do everything. And what do you think the biggest bets are that you can do really well and that will drive the biggest impact and, um, you know, build on from there. I think so much of this work is, gets greater over time, especially when you're with a smaller business or a growing business. So I think, you know, hedging your bets a little bit and kind of focusing in on, on what's going to be most impactful is, um, is always a helpful thing to remember. That's, that's really lovely. Thank you. Cause I, I think that may also, uh, combine in with Kelsey's, uh, question that sits in the Q and A right now, which is, uh, the scalability of these models and whether there's any, uh, steps you should skip if you're working with smaller companies and, and brands. And so I wanted to take a stab here because, you know, like, of course the answer is going to be, it depends, but I love that word that you used there, Molly, which was about impact. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. acknowledging Kerry that you have to go through the steps one by one by one to sort of, uh, get to the place that you want to, it is another question to be asking all the time, what's mm -hmm. going to have the most impact in terms of actually sort of doubling down on it and, and, and sort of prioritizing those things. Yeah, and I think also giving yourself, the, to Molly's point earlier, the part that this is your big bet, this is going to drive the impact, and then giving yourself permission to try something that it's okay if that particular trial fails. So if you're going to do something new, align that a certain amount of your time, a certain amount of your investment, but actually make peace with the fact that that part might not be successful, but it's okay because you put the majority of your time towards what you think really will be. Um, we have a flavor graveyard here at Ben and Jerry's where our dearly departed flavors go to die. And it's a really genuinely good thing in the office to remind you of the fact that even the best ideas sometimes don't always make it. So giving yourself that a prioritization on impact where it's going to work, but also permission to fail that kind of one thing you want to try to learn about. And to Molly's earlier slide, that learning objective, where really are you learning the most is, is key. Yeah. That's really cool. That, that was really smart as well. Like, not that you need my validation, but I really enjoyed and, and uh, that point about sort of having an idea of what you're going to learn at the end as well. That, that was that was really, really cool. And I know it's appreciated in, in the chat as well. So thank you for sharing that because I've never seen that before. That was really cool. Um, we get a question here from uh, Jess, uh, and this goes back down to uh, the Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and so jess asks uh what's the best place to start with a communication calendar uh and any recommendations of good templates uh maybe if we take the first half though that might be an easier broader question to answer yeah i mean i there are a lot of them out there in the google ecosystem so yeah. i always <laughs> joke that like google is everyone should be everyone's best friend right um but i think you know it depends on I won't say it depends. I think the best place to start, in my opinion, is, uh, you know, the comms calendar should act as a map of how to tie your communication objectives to your platforms and over time. So I think having the platforms and the comms and the timing in place is the baseline. And then you can layer on from there. And whether that be investment or assets or specific flighting, um, it can get into more depth from that point. But I think from the way that we've seen it work best, those sort of three things as fundamentals 
are the is the easiest place to start. And then as um, time progresses, you can add in more into it as you see fit. Perfect. Thank you very much. That just makes perfect sense. <laughs> Spot on answer. Um, let's go for the next one from uh, Alex Knight, because I think we've hopefully answered the one from Emma. Um, and I appreciate we're sort of ping-ponging a lot of the places here, but there's there's so many good questions, so um, I hope you don't mind. No. Uh, so this one comes from Alex, uh, and Alex asks, how do you balance the brand crossover? So I think this is in reference to the Ben and & Jerry's and the Tony's collaboration. Yeah. Uh, the video ad uh, used a lot of Tony's uh, influence from the font, etc., while other assets were a bit more balanced and particularly with the products and stuff like that. So I think this is a very specific question on, yes. on the campaign, uh, but, but how do you manage those sort of collaborations? Well, when it came to our key visual, we made sure that was kind of even. So we had a kind of even mix of Ben and Jerry's visual identity and Tony Chocoloni visual identity. When it came to POS in store, if it was ice cream POS, it would lean more into the Ben and Jerry's visual identity and then chocolate point of sale would lead more into Tony's Chocolate Only. And then on some cases we had the same asset, but two versions of it. One that was kind of leaning in towards the ecosystem of Tony's visual identity and some that were kind of leaning more into Ben and Jerry's. So when it comes to execution, I think it is a conversation of, does this feel like an equal balance? Will it work within our platforms? Will our fans see that as something that fits in our ecosystem or will they not engage because it doesn't look like something that we should be putting out? But actually, I think it starts before then. It starts with your picking up a partner. So Tony Strickland's tone of voice is very playful. They do a lot just for fun. They're quite silly. And they talk about serious issues one minute on, on their Instagram and another minute they're talking about just the joy of chocolate. So I think actually we had quite a few synergies when it came to our copy, our tone of voice, and kind of our bold and colorful brand identity. So I think if you pick a partner that you have some strong alignments with, that won't be as hard and then when it comes to the execution you can think is one asset enough or do we need two versions of it one for each channel outdoor advertising do we need it to be leaning more to one than the other yeah. but it's a, definitely annoyingly when it comes to marketing it's a conversation isn't it another it's, conversation to be had <laughs> it's like any good relationship though isn't it it's about i guess it's about communication and values and, and what yes I, the word you didn't use there but uh, i definitely heard coming through yeah. your answer was, was definitely and, uh, yeah and okay. being open with one another I think it's if you've seen you know we we knew exactly which edits were taking place across each of our companies so it wasn't like we suddenly saw kind of a surprise campaign video on a partner's platform <laughs> <laughs> and that dating phase we have with one another meant that we built that trust yeah. and that honesty with one another which is key 100% no I, I I love it um no that's 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 spot on um and and hopefully more places can be like that because it seems like the right the right approach to these things as well that sort of openness and trust so thank you um we've probably only got um one last one time for one last question uh and we'll take it from willem um and it, it's it's more about uh choosing value so it might slightly sit outside the scope of today's session just a little bit uh, but Willem asks, uh, is there a risk you're too explicit about one's values? So you might put some people off with Ben and Jerry's particularly, et cetera. I love that. <laughs> um, that's okay though. I think that um, with progression comes pushback. And if you know what your values are, then it's completely okay that some people are turned off. I think then 
you are clear with where you stand and as many people leave you join you and I think the alternative is being vanilla with what your values are which isn't a position to take so I think yes people will be turned off and that is okay providing you are starting from a place that's genuine that comes from impact we have activism managers at Ben and Jerry's whose whole job is to get to know NGOs and movement builders they don't have anything to do with kind of selling ice cream and they work really really hard to build these partnerships so it should come from a really informed place we ask NGOs how we can be of service to them not how they can boost our brand equity score so as long as it comes from a place where it's true um, and you're doing it for the right reasons and you're being thoughtful about it hopefully you will bring people into a movement and if people leave you and you know boycott your business so be it providing you're changing the world for the better or trying your best to spot on no, i love it we only saw the example of patagonia last week you know sort of standing by the yes. founding uh, principles that was incredible it was really really, really so um bang on uh purpose defines activity not the other way around so that's that's yeah. really, really cool um also I, I don't know whether you snuck in another uh, pun there because you said uh, as long as it's not vanilla so i'm so sorry <laughs> like, it's, it's this thing when you turn when you get, become a dad then you can't help but notice uh, the bad jokes anyway uh right with all that said uh we've had our hour and uh it's time for your holiday as well uh Kerry mm -hmm. so um honestly mm -hmm. thank you both so so much for your honesty transparency uh for just being so open uh I, I know that everyone's appreciated it so much you can probably see the chat feature right now yeah the chat was amazing <laughs> thank you everyone <laughs> it's bonkers so thank you all and uh we're back again next Tuesday uh two o'clock once again um, speaking about the lessons that Fergus O'Connell has learned from the best in the biz about building great strategies. Uh, so hopefully you can all be there. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Please do say thank you to our sponsors. Uh, if you're in London tonight and there's still some tickets available, by all means sign up for tonight's London event. With that said, we'll see you all very soon. Thank you both. It's really, really Bye, appreciate Bye, Molly. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.